Gamble. You've got a secret bonus point. Hello and welcome to Dynamite Ready. It's the retro games podcast where a couple of our pals get together and talk about a couple of our games. The voice you're hearing just now is myself, Mick Clockerty. Joining me today, we have Mr. Mick McCormick. How's it going? And unfortunately, our other co-host, Andy Mack, is away uh, in active service fighting in the Clone Wars. So, <laughs> best, of, best of luck, Andy. There's those clones, man. There's just too many of them. Too many of them. Uh, they all look the uh, same, it's a nightmare. <laughs> what we've got for you today is, uh, basically, we're going to do something for Burns Night. Now, the only guy on our podcast that's actually a Scottish Patriot isn't here, so we'll see how this goes. But <laughs> We believe that nationalism is a, is a spectre <laughs> yeah. in a fiction. Correct. However, that doesn't mean we can't make a fun listicle. Today... Me and Mick are both going to give you our top five references to Scotland and computer games. Now, this could be... I think we set ourselves pretty broad parameters. Yeah. Anything from a game set in Scotland to a game featuring Scottish historical figures, items, um, characters with Scottish accents comes up a lot. And we also went out and asked our previous guests to give us a favourite one each, which I'll read off at the end. So, aye, basically, we're taking a look at Scotland as represented in computer games. Yeah, and, I mean, it's, it's been patchy, I think, uh, in, in terms of history, you know, um, probably stemming from, like, portrayal of Scottish people in Hollywood, um, loads of negative stereotypes about being tight-fisted, alcoholic... Violent simpletons <laughs> seems to have bled over in the world of video games, but there's been a few highlights over the years, and I've tried to capture some of the good and the bad in my list. So you get the the kind of Hollywood or fantasy novel kind of Scott is usually a dwarf in the like Tolkien sense, yep, and highly violent as you're saying, sort of angry berserkers, drunk. I find when it comes to to British media, if you have TV programmes and they're set in London or something, Scottish people are either homeless or a polis. I don't know why. <laughs> That's a two-axis. Yeah, I suppose so. It's, um, I think the, Amer- the American ideal, the American idea of a Scot and a, the British idea of a Scot seems to be quite different. The American one is maybe more romanticised. Um, maybe ideas of sort of guy strapping guys wearing kilts looking over a windswept glen and that sort of thing Aye. Um, British people have having to English people having to deal with us and live with us have kept their negative portrayals of us usually I think maybe the, the homeless Scott thing comes down to I as you say negative portrayals in the news and things like that due to high levels of alcoholism drug addiction and stuff probably are a lot of young Scots on the streets in London and things like that or they probably <laughs> were and I think the Polish thing maybe just comes for the fact that the accent is scary. <laughs> yeah, now that you mention it, I have. <clears throat> it's all cross my mind that, like, especially in like a BBC drama or something, you're quite often seeing a, a Scottish Polis. Um, Aye. Like that, um, the Luther, the villain for Luther, that was the kind of un- unhinged <laughs> sort of Polis um, towing the line between law, law and uh, chaos. There's loads of instances. Porridge, I think, the one of the top screws in that's a Scottish cunt. Um, the movie Twin Town, Duggery Scott plays this kind of deranged evil Scottish polis. <laughs> Filth, of course. I mean, that really sort of galvanises the whole myth and, and elevates it. It's a great movie. I always, always wonder what happened to Duggery Scott. You don't see much of him anymore. Funnily enough, he is playing a Scottish polis um, <laughs> on, on a, an, another uh, Irvin Welsh adaptation, uh, Crime, which I oh, think is okay. in its second series, and they filmed a wee bit of it in Greenock and things like that. <laughs> cool. Well, I guess no time like the present. Are you wanting to come in with your number five? Aye, so my number five, and as I said, I don't know if this is my top five, um, but this is like five notable Scots. In, uh, I, this think, one I think perfect. mine is like no particular order as well. Yeah. I don't think I'm ranking them. Um, this one's notable because I hate him, really. Um, he's <laughs> one of the maybe most annoying portrayals of a Scot that I've seen 
in, in video games and one that really sticks in my mind like years after playing the series. Um, this is Kenneth Donnelly from the Mass Effect series. So Kenneth is introduced in Mass Effect 2 but you also see him in Mass Effect 3. Um, he's a an engineer uh, on the Normandy, on the kind of rebuilt, resurrected version of the Normandy that is run by the organisation Cerberus in Mass Effect 2. And him and another engineer, I can't remember the name, Dar- Darla, I think it is, um, they kind of both work, um, kind of have a wee, wee kind of back and forth, and you often hear them when you're kind of walking by the engine room and that. His accent is hoaching. Um, I've, I've not, I've not been to look up whether he is Scottish, uh, the, the actor that plays him, but I highly doubt it. This is, it's just what a weird thing that you know. I mean, I guess the most famous example would be in Crownskeeper Willie, but there's a long tradition of non-Scottish actors playing Scottish voice acting roles in. I've never quite figured out why because there's a lot of us, but not really hard to find. <laughs> like, no. Anywhere in the world, if you show up at a, like the cheapest pub in town, there will be a Scotsman there. You can ask him to, to act for you. I've never quite figured out why people feel the need to do Scottish accents, and they never really can. Is uh, Mass Effect Bioware? Yes. Right, I know for a fact they've used Scottish voice actors in other Bioware games. It's not <laughs> like they kind of get a hotties. Yeah, was was Anna for Planescape Torment not like Sheena Easton or something? Yeah, correct. I, oh, oh, here. I've just, I can't believe she's not on my list. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I've, clearly, I've clearly put this together in a hurry, but she could have been right up there. Oh, that's what happens when you do a top five, man. Honourable mention, I guess, to uh, Anna from Planescape Torment, voiced <laughs> by Sheena Easton, as you say. I can't really remember Kenneth Donnelly, but now that you mention it, I vaguely remember thinking, all right, they're doing... They're doing Scotty, and there's an yeah. engineer. Um, and I think I... like it, this could have it could have been like it, the, the most charitable interpretation is that we're um, it, it's a homage to Scotty, who obviously the actor that played him was the Scottish, putting on a kind of rubbish accent. So maybe it's um, maybe it's a, a tribute to him. But yeah, he gets he, he's got kind of bad accent, terrible patter. Um, all his jokes are about he, he makes loads of objective fine comments to, about women, uh, all the women on the ship. The most egregious line that I've, I've copied and wrote in here is um, him and, sorry, in Gabriella, who's the other engineer, she says, Hey, Kenneth, you hear Rupert is actually making good food now? And he goes, Yeah, but they couldn't make a good haggis to save his life. And then Gabriella says, But all haggis taste like ass anyway. And he says, Aye, but in the right hands, it can taste like mighty fine ass. Oh, horrendous. No. Horrendous. Awful patter. Mass affected. <laughs> yeah, mass affected, you know, Generally, pretty good writing, pretty good dialogue. Um, it must have just kind of not really. <laughs> it must have kind of packed it in at that point when they were writing that in NPC dialogue. Appealing to a teenage boy demographic. Also, I think if you go back and watch the original series of Star Trek, uh, James Doohan, or Doohan, however you pronounce it, who played Scotty. No, the worst crack at the accent I've heard, particularly <laughs> for fucking America in the sixties. You know, aye, aye. There's been a lot worse. So I, I think it was maybe one of the... It maybe sticks out in my mind because, like, the the era of games that Mass Effect came out in was one of the first where you had kind of fully voice-acted games um, with loads of characters, so... You heard them. You heard a lot of them. <laughs> you, heard a lot, you heard a lot of them. Uh, uh, Kenneth Donnelly when you're wandering about the ship. Um, so, yeah, I think he kind of got on my nerves for for that reason because I had to keep dealing with this like awful Scottish accent, and also because he works for Separus, he's canonically a fascist. So, get him to fuck. Well, in contrast to your number five, I've gone for something which I would say they actually tried quite hard, and if anything, it's more a kind of tribute to a place in Scotland. This is the only one on my list that's a location. Okay. And I've gone for Scarabray from The Bard's Tale. Okay, so is this the original Bard's Tale? It's in pretty much all of them, but yes, the, the original Bard's Tale. So The Bard's Tale is a 1985 role-playing game where you make a party of six adventurers. You pick them for different classes and all that and roll their stats. That fucking Baldur's Gate kind of fair. Um, and you have to make your way through... A sort of fantastical Scottish town called Scarabray, which is full of pubs and dungeons and your usual kind of RPG fare. The ending of the game, you have to climb a tower, kill an evil wizard called Mankar. But the the entire 
first Bird's Tale game is all set in the tune of Scarabray. Okay. Have you ever played it? No, no, I've not. Fucking solid. Uh, I can barely <laughs> make any progress at all. Um, From my experience really... on this podcast, I know that these RPGs for <laughs> the late 80s and early 90s kind of don't take any prisoners. Aye. Apparently the game is pretty much unwinnable unless you put a bard in your party. Oh, there you go. It's a bard's tale, so... Another wee, another wee shout out to Rabbi Burns. There's a, some essential puzzles that you need the bard for. Um, bards also get their powers in the game for drinking and can do all that good <laughs> stuff like um, buffing your party with special songs and stuff like that. Apparently, the modern reimagining, which is called the Bard's Tale 4, is pretty class. It's been on my Steam wish list for a wee while and I've been meaning to check it out for ages. I've been watching it. I just watched a YouTube video the other day actually about like the a game called The Bard's Tale which came out kind of the same sort of time as Fable. I think it was like the original Xbox or Xbox 360. Aye. And it's basically like loads of toilet humour like Gogger's Bad Third Day sort of um, piss take of Dungeons and Dragons type of games. It sounds terrible. This was I, a reboot that they did I don't know, some point in the late 2000s, maybe. Yeah, dark days, really. Ugh, there's a bit of love for that game um, in certain sections of the internet. I remember getting a mobile version of it and having a pretty terrible time with it and, <laughs> and thinking, could they not just make a modernised version of the OW one with like an auto map and turn-based battles and stuff, which I think is what Bard's Tale 4 is. So, aye, yeah. um but um, I'm kind of going back to that in that direction where you know people actually try and figure out what people liked about these old games and aye. try to try to bring that out rather than like what were the teens like? Scarabray itself, as I said, and um, this they do a take on it and they turn it into this kind of fantasy medieval tune. But it is actually named after a Neolithic settlement that is actually found on the Orkney Islands called Scarabray. Yeah, it's like one of the kind of most well preserved um, settlement. Probably because of how like remote it is. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of very important archaeological dig. So it's like quite an interesting place. It's a World Heritage site now. They found the remains of houses. Interestingly, a rudimentary plumbing system and some sort of wee artifacts. I think they found like necklaces and other sorts of wee things. The game also has a few other nods to its Arcadian roots. Um, you've got like some folklore creatures like the Trowe. Who are these ah, kind of okay. mischievous evil trolls that live underground and later went on to inspire the drow from Dungeons and Dragons? So there you go. I thought I would get a location on there and I thought Scarabray was an interesting one. That's my number five. Aye, cool. They probably got a, a bit of mileage out of um, Scottish folklore kind of monsters and, and creatures and RPGs like Persona games and things like that. That's definitely like the odd um, Selkie or that um, those kind of things. Aye, definitely. I'm trying to think. Have I seen a Selkie in anything? Probably they've named a villain after Selkies and Shin Megami Tensei or one of these fucking things. <laughs> Aye, what's the Arcadian one where it's like a it's like a guy with a, a horse's head and he protects you from evil or something like that if, if you let him into your house. So this is a thing called Wolver. They have got wolf seeds. And apparently they're kind of sound. They're like nice werewolves. They spend all day fishing. And if you don't <laughs> fuck with them, they don't fuck with you. And they also will sometimes leave food at the doors of poor families. However, if you look up on Wikipedia in this section about Wolver, there is a suggestion that some woman basically just made them up and that they were not part of oral tradition in the island stories or anything like that. So fuck those. <laughs> Just a some bored Twilight fan fiction writer started <laughs> editing Wikipedia. Possibly, and I mean, they, that's probably what they, they were back in the day as well, the people that made up this stuff about fae creatures and fairies and things like that. <laughs> right. But aye, what you got for your number four then? So number four um, is going to Squaresoft. Um, we've got Zappa from Chrono Cross. So he is a a blacksmith, um, and he's a one of your party members. You can recruit him. Um, he's a, a kind of blacksmith for the for the palace guard. He makes all these class weapons and stuff. But he joins you as a kind of warrior and a fighter. Pretty pretty useful guy. He's in gainful employment, which is like not you can't really say that for many Scottish characters you encounter in media. But um, he, he also like just. Uh, 
talks a lot of shite to his wife. Uh, he kind of talks talks back to his wife and tells her to shut up, woman. <laughs> with ah. a few of his lines of dialogue. Um, so not an entirely positive Scottish portrayal. The reason I kind of find him quite interesting, and this is like a system that Chrono Cross has, is that there's 40 party members that you can get to join your party, and obviously they weren't able to write like full dialogue for every single party member. So what they do is, whoever's in your party at the time, if, if they're taking part in some dialogue conversation, there's like a standard script, but then they've, they've run a kind of filter over it, to like squitch out some of the words. So he speaks in, in Scots, or a kind of bastardised version of Scots, because they'd like, they just swap out things like, like no for Ken, or Aye. like didn't for Didney and stuff like that. A lot of people really don't like this system because like for some characters in particular, there's like a dog that speaks in like dog sounds. <laughs> like <laughs> You can go online and put like Game Shark, how to turn off accents in Chrono Cross because it pure fries people's not. He's probably one that the the less egregious versions of that. I found that a kind of interesting concept. You know, can can you can our entire um, dialect of Scots be like summed up by an algorithm? <laughs> I don't know. Is that offensive? I mean, quite possibly. If if you if you wanted a a, a sort of quick pass at it, I just change every odd text box into like okay the new and you're you're like seventy five percent of the way there, I guess. Is he is he named after Frank Zappa? Yeah, he also gets bonus points for that. I'm guessing that was the translators that did that and not necessarily the Japanese developers of the game. Although maybe Sapphire was back in Japan as well. I would think so. But yeah, it's, I mean, Scots, you know, is it a dialect? Is it, a, is it, is it English with a few extra steps? Is it a language? It's all pretty subjective, I suppose. Who was it that said that like a dialect, a language is a dialect to an army and a navy? Aye. <laughs> so, aye, who, can, who can really say? On a scale of like, a Kindle Outlander fantasy novel rip off written by an American uh, to Irvin Welsh, where would you land the Scots language of Zappa? <laughs> I mean, it's it's probably dead centre, like it's not it's not offensive, Aye. but it's also like more understandable than, than it should be. Yeah. Um fair enough because <laughs> like, it is an open Welsh protagonist. Yeah, there's not there, there's no Mickles and Muckles and Denny Fash this and the stuff like that. There's nothing, there's nothing to it there. Aye. And I I take it they just they take the Scrooge McDuck approach of giving him a kind of universal Scottish accent rather than try to make him into like a Pfeiffer or speak fucking Doric <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. He's not a real guy like your dad, your uncle. <laughs> well, I'm gonna come in with num- my number four and I've got uh, Morrigan from Darkstalkers. Nice, good choice. Darkstalkers, right, if you don't know, and I'm going to be really reductive here, Darkstalkers is basically Street Fighter, but with Draculas and Frankensteins. It's like, <laughs> it's a horror-themed fighting game for Capcom. It's pretty good. Um, Morrigan in the series is a Scottish succubus, which is like a type of sex demon, I believe. Yep. She can control bats and shoot out flaming skulls at folk. One of the interesting things in terms of this series about Morrigan is that she is arguably more famous than the game that she is Faye. Because she's the... I think she's consistently the the only Darkstalkers character that appears in these Capcom versus SNK games and Marvel versus Capcom and things like that. A lot of people probably would recognise her for playing these big compilation games without actively knowing about the series itself. She's kind of like the the Ryu of Darkstalkers, I guess. I mean, she's a demon lassie with big tits. She's all going to have a... (laughs) A fandom in the, the fighting game community. I mean, she's she certainly won my heart. <laughs> I, I like um, there is a you know I always call it Puzzle Street Fighter, but I don't think that's what it's called. It's like Street Fighter Two Puzzle Edition or something. Like that. Uh, she's playable in that, which is what I probably first saw her in and played on um, played as her in, and I fucking love that game. Her place of birth is given as Scotland in the games and I think later on she gets a wee bit of Scottish voice acting in some games however the Morrigan is actually a character for Irish mythology primarily she appears in the Ulster cycles and is this sort of 
underworld, like, fey creature who yeah. I think uh, foretells Cahillan of his death. There is also suggestion that uh, Morgan Le Fay, you know, from, like, Welsh mythology, that Aye. whole King Arthur stuff, is also derivative or a version of the Morrigan. But she appears in Scottish stories as well. I thought, rather uncharitably, that maybe when they were doing the character concepts for this game that whoever was designing them didn't really know much of a difference between Ireland and Scotland. I figured they were a wee bit interchangeable. Oh, we'll go for Scotland because it's a wee bit different or something. I kind of thought, like, hearing the description of that game, like, oh, it's quite interesting that alongside your classic Dracula and stuff, you've got this slightly obscure figure of Irish mythology, but yeah, it turns out maybe sanitised that wee bit, made her a succubus, which I think is, like, for Homer or something. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm sure... I mean, I would, actually, I would love this if you are a Darkstalkers lore person. Get in touch, please, and tell me the best wiki to go on and, and read a backstory in that, because I would be quite interested to know what they've written this as, because it's an all-series now. I bet you they've written a whole fucking crazy, fucking shitey story that tells you all about Morrigan's life. <laughs> but I never, I didn't do that much prep work for this one, I'm afraid. <laughs> I want to untap potential of like, Scottish and Irish mythology. I like to listen to like, uh... The Blind Boy podcast, and he occasionally hits out with some like mental Irish folk tales. Aye. Um, could be could maybe make a good video game, part about the salmon of knowledge and stuff like that. I've actually been reading a book on contemporary sort of British folk tales. It's trying to take a load of them. It's written them in sort of modern English, and then it'll give you the tale first, and then afterwards it'll give you like a kind of mad explanation for it. Yeah. I think I was telling you about, um, I was reading one about uh, St Mungo gaining communion in Merlin. <laughs> yeah. At the end of Merlin's life, just before he died, there is a mad story about him being in Scotland and sort of accepting Jesus. Because in other versions of Merlin myth, he's also the Antichrist and things like that. Fucking <laughs> bizarre. But aye, that was a good tale. So they actually do this quite This is a kind of common theme, I think, in mythology. Like, the mythology starts to reflect the the people's conversion for paganism into Catholicism. Like you get this with Norse mythology as well. Like, you know, obviously you've got like Odin and Loki and Thor and all that, but the story of Ragnarok, the kind of end of the world, they reckon that that was kind of inspired by Christian missionaries coming and talking about like their idea of um, the apocalypse and you know, Satan coming and being defeated in a final battle with God and stuff like that. So that Aye. that part of the story wasn't like an, an original part of Norse myth it was kind of a Christian influence so yeah that's it's almost the same kind of thing like somebody's been thinking how do we rehabilitate these um, these kind of pagan heroic characters by bapt- baptising them at the end of their life or it's like you get uh, people fucking saying aye we, we pray to this river goddess for like good crop yields and we have a a feast for her at this date and all that and then Christian missionaries come along and go do you know what that was probably St Lucy um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll just change the date of that what do you do on that day you hang fucking pine cones for your fucking door handle aye well there's a good reason for this um, <laughs> <laughs> pretty clever really what is your number three so number three uh, appearance of a Scot in gaming is, um, I mean, many people's favourite Scott of all time. It's the bold William Wallace, um, ah. and that would be in Age of Empires 2. He doesn't get much of a run out in Age of Empires 2, but he got. Um, he was the most memorable character for me because I, I didn't play much past the tutorial. Um, the tutorial campaign is about uh, William Wallace, really. Um, and, yeah, just him on his kind of quest for vengeance um, against Longshanks, teaching you how to... Um, get farmers to mine gold and build knights and all that good crack for Age of Empires. I think when Age of Empires 2 came out, it was probably... Like, Braveheart had already been out. They were of like primary school age and everybody watched it and everybody talked about it. And Remember we had that fucking cub camp that was like Braveheart themed and all that. <laughs> so yeah. it, it was definitely in your fucking zeitgeist. I remember playing Age of Empires 2 and just playing the tutorial mission over and over again, um, <laughs> just to keep doing the William Wallace bits. Yeah, I played Mare of Age of Empires 1, um, but yeah, definitely a, a good chunk of two. It, one was your kind of Bronze Age, um, you'd, you'd be like 
Carthage and like Phoenicia and stuff like that. Whereas yeah, Age of Empires two would move things into medieval times. And they built they've made a remake of it quite recently. It's pretty well received, and they keep putting out new DLC and new campaigns and stuff like that. So there is like a full William Wallace campaign you can play um, in the kind of remastered version, and also an Edward Longshanks one as well. So you've got a kind of <laughs> you've got a kind of Rashomon sort of <laughs> two perspectives on the same thing. Sort of. I mean, I suppose there's some folk out there that consider Edward Longshanks a hero. I consider him a bit of a hero just in the film version because he gets all the funniest part of um, <laughs> He's played by, is it Patrick McGugan or something, that fella that was in The Prisoner? Oh, the guy for The Prisoner. Aye. Aye. He did a really good job, man. I think the movie version of him's got a bit of charisma. I know he's an absolute fucking baddie that does that like, prima nocta thing, which apparently never actually really happened, but I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, just black propaganda against them, <laughs> um, and yeah, like the the game. I mean, it try it tries to go for a bit of historical accuracy, but I think it's it it, it, it gives some of your brave heart um, sort of anachronisms um, are present in Age of Empires too as well. We have guys with blue face paint and stuff like that. It's like their special unit, isn't it? Yes, they are called Wood Raiders. And it, if the, the wee description of them says that they paint their face with stuff called wood, which was depicts about a thousand years before it. <laughs> I remember seeing a review of Braveheart, and it said it's that fucking apocryphal. It would be like watching The Sopranos, and they were all walking about in like togas and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. I quite enjoyed that uh, Outlaw King. Well, kind of, and a uh, shout out to Leo because his dad did the music for it. Aye, um, they, uh, well I mean my, my favourite character for the Wars of Independence, the Black Douglas, who is sadly completely absent for Braveheart, got a wee shout out in uh, Outlaw King, he was played yeah. by the wee guy that was kick-ass, um, and he was probably, <laughs> the, correctly, he was probably the coolest character in that as well. So, aye, Robert aye. the Bruce would get a bit, he, he get pretty short-changed in Braveheart I think. That, well they put that weird thing in about him betraying... William Wallace at a tournament or something like that, which is fucking <laughs> Why are you dead my man like that? <laughs> Aye. Um, anyway, we could be here on eight talking about Braveheart. It also, um, while we're on a similar topic, um, honourable mention to um, the Bishop of Dundee, who in my playthrough of Crusader Kings 3 turned out to be a cannibal. Um, <laughs> kind of good, pretty notable, good character in, um, in Scottish history there. Maybe Sonny Bean found Jesus. <laughs> oh, you look at the good Sonny Bean game now that I think on it. Anyway, um, right, survival um, horror sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Could they have a good Bible John game? The Bible John mysteries. I'm not. Well, right. While we're while we're on a kind of loose episode, have you got a Bible John theory that you subscribe to? I mean, I used to. Um, I used to be a fan of the one of um, Peter Tobin as Bible John. Um, I hate, I hate appar- the Tobin theory. It's apparently been kind of widely discredited now, just because it's like one of those. It's one of those things. It's like, oh, two two serial killers from the same country, and they must be the same person. Like that's really what there is kind of um, tying it together. My family has a, a bit of a Bible John story or a loose a loose association because um, my my granddaughter's sister um, used to go out dancing in the Barrowlands and mm-hmm. uh, just around about the same time that Bible John was. Claiming many of um, his victims, maybe she, maybe she was Bible John. You know, she never, never got caught. Bible Jane. So oh. that's my, that's, that's my personal theory. I sell that in Netflix. They love doing these gender reversal. <laughs> but I, I subscribe to the Bible John as a polis theory. <laughs> you would. Though, a lot of witness accounts that he had a a warrant book that he carried about with him, and some ah. people recall that he talked about being a cop. Uh, they reckon cops do a lot of unsolved murders and I mean if the recent revelations about the Met going with you know the amount of polis that are actually fucking sex criminals I think there's some credence to the Bible John as a polis <laughs> theory yeah, quite it honestly seem, it does seem pretty credible you know a kind of code of silence around him aye but my number three anyway I'll get us back on track I've gone for Cat Sith or Kate Sith, however you like to pronounce it, Cracker. from Final Fantasy Seven. For folk that don't know, he's a small black cat that sits on this giant puppet's shoulders 
and sort of commands him during fights with like a megaphone. It turns out, and this is spoilers for a 26-year-old game, that he's actually kind of working against your party and that he's a spy for the evil Shinra Corporation. He's actually this guy called Reeve who is controlling a puppet, controlling a puppet for some fucking reason. <laughs> this character is always really fucking funny to me because he's, he's my favourite character in Final Fantasy VII because of this, but he sees this fucking, you know, evil corporation that's it's literally taking over the entire world. It's got a private Bleeding army. Bleeding the planet dry. It's killing everybody. It's sucking these ghosts at the planet. He sees it happening. He knows it's killing the planet so that they can charge people for electricity. They fucking... They employ everybody. They bleed them dry for their wages and stuff. And he looks at it and he says, you know what? I could probably make a difference here. Change this place for the inside. You know? <laughs> maybe maybe it's Aye. not all bad. I can make this a slightly less evil fascist corporate monolith. <laughs> with, with an elaborate plan involving puppets. <laughs> yes. All the while playing a wee camp Scottish cat. <laughs> the, the Scottish connection here in the terrible spin-off movies... And sequel games and stuff, Cat Sith is always given a Scottish accent. And it's not the worst Scottish accent I've heard. It, it leans, as I say, heavily into that kind of camp Scottish, which I'm not going to do because it's... <laughs> Alan Cummings. <laughs> a bit like Alan Cumming or something. A bit more high-pitched. The name itself is taken for a creature from Scottish folklore, which I reckon must be based on those big black wild cats that you still get in the islands. Although they're, they're kind of dying out. But um, there are stories of them shape-shifting and stealing the souls of people who have died, which I often wonder if it's a lasting superstition because my old man would always claim that he doesn't like cats because they steal your breath. <laughs> And I wonder if that's something to do with that. I think it's because they, they they lie in your chest while you're sleeping or something like that, and he says it's them stealing your breath. But maybe that was like the played into the soul stealing thing or something. Fuck knows. Maybe just like an undiagnosed allergy. Well, I I think he also is kind of allergic to them. <laughs> Literally stealing your breath. Maybe a lot of people in the Highlands were as well. <laughs> I think wildcats in the Highlands aren't so much dying out as that they're interbreeding so much with domestic house cats that they're pretty much indistinguishable for them. Um, so they're not maybe not as scary um, as they used to be. Uh-huh. Also, um, Reeve is in the Final Fantasy VII remake and you kind of get mere kind of foreshadowing. There's, there's mere scenes with the um, the lads with Shinner Corporation and you get some foreshadowing that he might be like one of the kind of slightly sounder ones. Um, but there is quite a funny scene that I thought... Um, because you don't see Kachi in the first in the first episode at all. He's not a playable character, uh-huh. um, and at the point where the like the, is sector seven, the, the, when the plate falls down, um, it cr- crushes the the slums underneath. It cuts to this character who you've never seen before, just like on his knees crying, going no. <laughs> like I'm just, which is which is like a, a, a wee reference for people that have played the original. But I just find it quite funny because if you've never played. Final Fantasy Seven, and then this is the first time you get introduced to this character and being really upset um, about a, a massive um, natural disaster happening, and it just cuts to this weird cat that's <laughs> really sad about it for some reason. <laughs> do you hear him talk in the remake? I don't think you do, or if if he does, it's just a, a cry of anguish. Just, <laughs> it's, to, it's to the Final Fantasy Seven version of Nine Eleven that's just happened. You go by a canteen and somebody's like, "Oh, can I?" A wee roll and slice and brown sauce, please. And you go, who's this? <laughs> uh, you go, it's Reeve. Ah, uh, doing class. But yeah, he's he's the funniest shit in Final Fantasy VII. Um, I'm glad that he's he's back along for the remake. Um, I would say he's probably not our proudest representation. He is many people's fucking least favourite Final Fantasy VII character, categorically. <laughs> um, that just makes me like him more. My least favourite Final Fantasy is- Seven characters said by quite a long margin. Because he's like a misogynist. Aye, but he's also just a bit of a nothing as well. Because they, <laughs> like, he's one of those ones where, like, after he's introduced, you kind of don't really need to bother with him anymore. I quite like him. He's got that stuff about dreaming about going to space and that. My least favourite character is Vincent because he's fucking boring. He's moaning. <laughs> so I like get Vincent. on with it. Oh, no. <laughs> you're, you're just. Too much of a sucker for that kind of edgy boy 
Anguish Shadow the Hedgehog push. Aye, I don't know, it's a lot of, a lot of demons, demons growing up. <laughs> Gage your number two. My number two um, is another historic character with a connection to our hometown. Um, that is uh, Captain Kidd, who appears um, in the SNK fighting game World Heroes 2. World Heroes, there's, there's two World Heroes games, and they're both they're, they're kind of SNK fighting games, but with the theme that some mad scientist nutcase has travelled through time and um, tried to get all the, the most the best fighters um, from all time to come together into a fighting tournament. Uh, to see who's the strongest. Not really sure why they picked Captain Kidd, who's like not really known as that one-on-one brawler in that kind of situation. <laughs> He's probably more good at like subterfuge and like um, fucking firing cannons um, at enemy ships and the like, rather than you know being like a really a really class two D fighter type of character. But who knows? He's a, a mad scientist, I guess. I guess they wanted a pirate character, and a lot, a lot of them are fictional, Long John Silver and stuff. When you get to the real ones, you're talking like Bluebeard or Captain Kidd. But yeah, Captain Kidd's going to be one of your big hitters. That I, I love that fucking Deadliest Warrior concept for a game. <laughs> um, I think, uh, is Rasputin in both of them, or is he only in the first one? I can't mind if he's in the second one, he's definitely in the first one. Also Aye. a man not known for his fighting skills, but just purely <laughs> for the fact that it's really hard to kill him. No, um, and they didn't, they didn't incorporate any moves of him attacking with his massive chopper. To um, <laughs> <laughs> be a bit more interesting. Yeah, Captain Kidd doesn't have any... He's, he's just a kind of a of a brawler, like one of your kind of medium to slow type of characters. Aye. Um, it's not incredibly interesting to play, um, to play about, but he's quite a kind of cool character design he he might be a lone in- incident of a character for Greenock in a video game yeah so if you go on the wikipedia uh, for captain kid it will say he's fit in d and there's records saying he's fit in d i mean that's not true like we no. know it's not true you know it's not true i know it's not true he's a proud son of Greenock. um he told um, some wifey on his deathbed that he was a proud man of Greenock, and who are we to to dispute that it was it was on the gallows. Um, apparently, while well, while well, he was getting hung, he said, "I am for Greenock." This Dundee hang, curiously coming from the University of Dundee, this research. <laughs> um, they're just trying to bump one of your fucking local figures, man. It's absolutely shameless. Get them a fuck. There's all this pattern about being the son of a Church of Scotland minister, which became was disproven as well. There's, yeah. there's no record. There's no record. It's like there's a good folk song about him. The dad being a minister as part of that um, he shoved a bible in my hand but I left it in the sand and all of that um, <laughs> but, which is kind of good crack although I obviously not true <laughs> I'm always kind of surprised that like Greenock doesn't make a bit more of its heritage it's obviously all about James Watt James Watt is, is, everyone's, everyone's named after James Watt but you thought there could maybe be like a Captain Kid sort of pirate sort of pub or something like that or even like a swimming pool pirate theme seems like a pretty easy win I'm surprised they've never really went for it also, Captain Kidd kind of wasn't a pirate. Yeah, it was. He, <laughs> he was, was a, um, he was a, a kind privateer. Of a, yeah, it was a false um, kind of false accusation against him, by all accounts. Um, a privateer, if you're not aware, is basically like a legitimised pirate. Well, like a, a pirate is going to raid ships and steal their treasure for personal gain, whereas a privateer has been given license to do that by a uh, state so if you had um, what's got a letter of mark by like the british or the french crown um it gave you permission to just like attack any ship that wasn't that wasn't british or french or whoever that you've um, that you've got the letter from and then you can take the plunder and then um the the crown will be happy that like there's a, a another rival ship um, a ship of one the rivals is um is no longer commissioned so it's a kind of win-win um, but uh, he was acting as a privateer, and I think like a lot of them, they kind of skirted the line. They kind of maybe took things a bit too far, um, and the and Britain eventually decided, like you know, what letter? What are you talking about? We never gave you a letter. He <laughs> 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 get he get pulled and tried and executed as a pirate. Um, which he is. A shame. He is where the notion of pirates having buried treasure comes from as well. Ah, right. That's central to the kind of Captain Kid myth. If you're ever doing in London, you can go to, I think it's called Execution Dock, 
Um, and there is a pub there called Captain Kid, and that is where he get tried and presumably executed as well. Aye, well, we should we should really honour him um, in our in our hometown. I think if I win the lottery, I'll be opening Captain Kid's Tiki Bar. That's my dream. Aye, th- th- we really need a pub down the road called the Captain Kid. <laughs> He's also in Persona Five. Is he? Aye, I think that's what. Um, is it Ryuji? Aye, his um, persona evolves into Captain Kid. If you might see social link. Well, I forgot all about that. Well, aye. Fair play to him, man. Good on him. <laughs> Greenock's favourite son. <laughs> Fuck you, Dundee. Well. Shifter bastards. This, this gives me a nice in to my number two. If you thought that you had heard the last of Dundee's European challenge for the ZX Spectrum <laughs> on this podcast, you'd be dead wrong. I cannot do a list of top five Scots in uh, video games without putting Jockey Scott in here and Dundee's <laughs> European Challenge. Again, just this bizarre fit by Koopman simulator uh, with the inclusion of cult hero, moustache man, Jockey Scott, popping up after games and congratulating you. Um, <laughs> Does he get any good lines of that, or is it just fairly perfunctory? It's uh, it's the exact same as Archie Knox, uh, and after he gets sacked, the guy who created the game actually put out a hastily, new version. Hastily retooled <laughs> With Jockey Scott, aye. And Jockey Scott's lines are the exact same as Archie Knox's. He just says things like, Day after Mora, boys. I'm proud of the lads. Good win today, lads, and things like that. It's, it's very generic. If you want a true account of what Jockey Scott was like in... And who he was. Um, this is your your reminder to read the Tartan special one by Barry Phillips, based off of the real Lee Griffiths blog. Uh, <laughs> very funny. But I that was it. I, I had to get in. You know, you've had your historical figure. Now I've got my historical figure in. Both, both titans. <laughs> both both absolute titans. Right. What is your number one? Um, before I mention that, that um, I've got a kind of one and a half, um, which oh. I just remembered I was going to add there. Uh-huh. Um, so this would be the various Glaswegian buildings that appear in Transport Tycoon. Um, oh. So Transport Tycoon was developed by Chris Sawyer, um, who was from Stirling, um, and he made this kind of um, innovative like transport simulation type of game, which was the forerunner of uh, Rollercoaster Tycoon, which is probably more well-known that he also created. Um, but he studied at Strathclyde University in the computer science uh, department, which was also where I studied. Uh-huh. Um, and um, he incorporated a few um, buildings from Glasgow, notable buildings from Glasgow in the game. Um, so when you're building your kind of train tracks and logistics, and they, they will often go past like the Serena Centre, which is that big, mad, weird fucking glass pyramid shopping uh-huh. centre. <laughs> Um, I'm never really entirely sure what the backstory was to that, but it's, um, you, you'll know it when you see it in the game for sure. Aye. Um, and also the Livingston Tower, which is like the big, tall, orange um, skyscraper sort of building from um, from Strathclyde University, which I spent many a, a late night in. So there's a lovely kind of pix- pixel recreation of that in the game. See, this is this one's completely news to me. I didn't know he'd done that. Aye, aye, yeah, it's. Um, uh, a few wee, few wee things you can kind of notice. I think some of, some of the high flats and, and that are on it as well. But um, I kind of sent some screenshots over it. I thought it was quite interesting. Yes. Um, um, well, thank you for that. That is a delicious factoid. <laughs> um, my number one um, is... I mean, these characters are only strictly Scottish, but they did stick out to me as a, a kind of good, good-hearted and sort of positive um, representation of characters with Scottish accents. Those are the dwarfs um, in Final Fantasy IX. Um, aye. So, I thought these might come up. Aye. Um, <laughs> it's just that there's a wee village um, that's um, your, your main your party has to go through in order to get from one continent to another. Um, it's populated by um, these little friendly dwarf characters. Um, they go around saying "Valley Ho" to each other. It's like a very important um, catchphrase to them. Aye. Um, and they're just quite jolly wee characters. Um, none of your your negative stereotypes, which have kind of befallen uh, most of the other Scottish characters in this list. They're, not, they're, they're no thieves. Hard. They're no drunks. Uh, they don't fight a lot. They're they're just pretty sound, <laughs> if I remember right. They've got like quite loving, stable relationships. They're not shouting abuse at their wives and things. Um, yeah, just kind of friendly, happy-go-lucky set of characters. It kind of stuck out to me at the time. 
Um, just because I remember it being like quite a good portrayal, um, and I remember being quite quite charmed by the characters. And I played it again recently. Um, the kind of uh, like the the newer version that's on Steam and it's kind of some quality of life upgrades mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I was struck by the fact that the Scots dialogue in the game is like perfect. Really, you can't fault it. It's Aye. not. It's it, all, all the words and the sentence structures all make sense. Um, they use kind of. Some some mere obscure Scots words that you usually wouldn't wouldn't hear. It's not just a kind of ersatz version of um, a, a kind of Scottish dialect, which I'm, I'm sure it would have been judged by like the kind of quality of the, the scripts and, and yeah. uh, squaresoft games of the nineties. Um, no, they, yeah, they tried I quite, quite hard. I was quite surprised they did a good job. As I said, using words for the actual Scots language like "cuck." Aye. No, that, I think that's a good one. I remember the first time I got to that bit when I was a wee guy. And I was just like, what the fuck? Yeah, I was going to say, holy shit, they're talking yeah. like me. <laughs> I, I think that's a great shout. Kind of makes me want to replay Final Fantasy IX, actually. It loads up. It does, man. It's, a, it's Even fucking that, that whole wee introductory segment where he's trying to get a fucking... Where he's trying to sneak into the opera and all that, or the stage show, whatever. Fucking class. It was never really my favourite one growing up, but... Actually, like playing seven, eight, and nine, like gameplay-wise, it it's maybe maybe the best of the three. Like, there's just it gets it's just quite solid. Like, it's all kind of everything all kind of fits together. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Kind of weird, weird mechanics and annoying things and that. It's good. It's good fun to play. I think that art style has sort of stood the test of time as well. If you if you look at any time the remake one of the old ones, like the DS version of Final Fantasy 3 and Final Fantasy 4, it just uses the art style for 9, basically, because yeah. I guess if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it in that, it lends itself well to these kind of medieval fantasy settings. Aye, yeah, and it's kind of, a, it's not going for, like, the realism of, of 8, or like the kind of, um, the, the, the kind of style of 7, which is the, the kind of chibi style, which maybe was really all they could pull off in the PlayStation at the time. Aye. Um, Final Fantasy IX is class, uh, the dwarves are class as well, so if you at least get to like, the end of this one or whatever it is, you meet them, <laughs> you'll be doing well. Aye. My number one, right, I've gone a wee bit fucking left field here, um, and I've got Darth Sion from Knights of the Old Republic 2. I did not even know there was a, a, a Scottish <laughs> character in Knights of the Old Republic 2. I only really played the first one. So there's this evil Sith Lord, obviously, as you can imagine, for the name Darth. He He's known as the Lord of Pain, and he's this sort of evil, evil Sith wizard who can't die because any time he gets killed, he's been blown up and all that. His body just repels itself out of pure hatred. <laughs> he's, he's, he's heavy metal as fuck. And he is voiced by the guy, this guy called Lewis Mellis, who also wrote the screenplay for Sexy Beast, by the way. But um, is perhaps best known to most people as the guy who did the voice on the Guinness adverts. Do you know that um, tick follow talk, follow tick follow talk? The fucking horses and the waves and all that. There's a Sith Lord in Knights of the Old Republic 2 who just sounds like that. He doesn't really change his voice, he sounds like the tick follow talk voice. It's pretty good, pretty good villain voice to be honest. Oh, it's class, man, and he he, he just fucking makes your the, the hairs in the back of your neck stand up because he gives you all these fucking threats and stuff, and he's so evil. Um, probably one of my favourite baddies for a role playing game ever. Um, you get a a memorable kind of final battle against them, as I said, because he can't die. He keeps repairing himself out of sheer hatred. You need to kill him several times. All the while, kind of debating with him and making him believe <laughs> this is quite Planescape Torment, but making him believe that he can die. And then once you finally plant that seed of doubt in him, the next time you kill him, his body kind of put itself back together. He just kind of gets weakened and gaze up, um, That's cool. which is a really cool moment. Aye, um, RPGs don't do that so much anymore, man. It's great. Aye, just either you pass a speech check or you kill him. <laughs> fucking either or they don't try to set up these big interesting set pieces like that one of the things I like most about the character of Darth Sion is that along with the guy in The Force Awakens who's hunting down Han Solo for like tick money or something you know that guy who shows up <laughs> Han Solo you owe me money and all of that Han um, Solo you're getting it aye 
it suggests to me the existence in Star Wars of a planet full of evil Scottish cunts. <laughs> so actually, in Andor, there's like it, there's a few Scottish actors and characters in it. Um, the first sex scene, I believe, in, in the entirety of Star Wars um, is with a, a Scottish actor. And also, um, Alex Ferns, who is the guy that played Trevor Morgan in EastEnders, the evil wife beater <laughs> that everyone hated, um, yes. he plays like a, a very low-level sort of um, like security polis type guard that subcontracted the Empire and really pure loves the Empire and is devoted to them, despite the fact that he's at like the complete bottom rung. Um, it's a great character. Um, but I, I they, they seem to cast a lot of uh, Scottish characters in that, and I would like to assume that they're from the same planet. <laughs> Aye. I want to see this evil Scottish planet. They should do one of their fucking spin-off TV shows about that. <laughs> I think there's a Scottish Jedi, or like, do we not really have the, the kind of work ethic for that? Well, there's a Scottish Sith. Um... Darth Sion. There's got, ba- there's got to be a balance in the force, so... Possibly he started as a Jedi. We don't know. Ah, right, yeah. Um, and then he was fed up by getting fucking poor quality pints of Guinness. Um, and that, <laughs> that just turned him into a creature of pure hatred. It could date me as well, to be honest. He was fed up with the Americans and the Jedi Council. And he was just like, fuck this. <laughs> Quite right. <laughs> but yes, these are our lists. Would you... What I've done today as I've gone out and I've gone back to previous guests and friends of the podcast and I've sort of just got everybody to give me one each because as I, as as we were saying during this, we missed out fucking Sheena Easton. We've probably missed out, you know, a few crackers. So I've been getting a wee suggestion each for a lot of different people and I can I can give them at the end here now. Yeah, let's let's fire these out. Right. Obviously first of all we have today Andy Mack, who unfortunately couldn't join us. Andy Mack has fucking blown my mind and managed to get Shenmue into yet another fucking subject. <laughs> the bar in Shenmue, or one of the bars in Shenmue, Andy says Bar Yokosuka, has got product placement in it for Glenfiddich. <laughs> you can you can see bottles of Glenfiddich whiskey behind the bar in this pub in Shenmue. A very very pixelated Glenfiddich logo on a a green bottle. It's funny because like he showed us that picture like the bottles behind the bar and like oh, that seems to be the only real one. All the others are like, made up particularly for that game. And then there's just this bottle of Glenfiddich in the middle. In um, Shenmue on a Dreamcast, you had a bit of product placement. Uh, apparently in the old one, you had Coca Cola in it and stuff like that. But all the remasters and things, when they've gave them, you know, a, a new slap of paint on them, like graphical upgrades, they've taken all the product placement out. So the the latest versions, PS4, PS5, Xbox, whatever, uh, Glenfiddich is not in Shenmue, only uh, in a Dreamcast one. I think they probably just didn't really get permission for it. They just like, let's let's find a picture of uh, a whiskey bottle and let's start just put it into the game. Aye. They're, not, they're not getting kickbacks for Diageo or that. Well, I don't know. You never know. Aero has come in and gone with uh, Haggis McMutton from Monkey Island 3. <laughs> Do you remember I Haggis? Really, I can't really remember him, though. He's a big burly barber. He's cutting this guy's hair. Uh, at the start of Monkey Island 3, you need to get a boat and you need to get three guys to join your crew, yeah. which is a pretty common setup in Monkey Island games. One of them is a big Scottish guy, and you, you get him in your crew, he's cutting this fussy guy's hair, and you put nits on the comb, and then he thinks the guy's got nits and just chops all his hair off, uh, and he joins <laughs> you. Fun fact about the bold Haggis McMutton is that he is voiced by, I think he's called Alan Young, uh, the same voice actor as Scrooge McDuck. Ah, oh, no way. <laughs> there you go. Aye. I always find Monkey Island 3 hods up pretty well. I've not played it in ages, but I used to really like it. I mean, a lot of people consider 2 the point where after 2 they kind of drop off, but I would say 3 is still firmly Golden Age Monkey Island. Pe- maybe people don't like the cartoony uh, art style or something. Yeah, I quite like it. 4 is a bit shite though. Although the I time th- travel puzzle is quite good. <sighs> 4... Four's got a lot to love and a lot to hate, I think. Um, we could get it as any episode, possibly. Oh, maybe we'll give that to Andy sometimes. <laughs> uh, Andy, if you're listening, I'm not sorry. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, Leo has gone for uh, Rab from Dragon Quest Eleven. He is voiced by Alex Norton. 
aka DCI Matt Burke from Taggart. Uh, Taggart, Taggart fame. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Leo also says that the mythical land of Dundrasil that the main character is fae, but is like destroyed in the game. Uh, you return to it in a flashback and everybody there is Scottish and Rab's for there as well. So there's a lot of Scottish in Dragon Quest Eleven, apparently. And we're finally getting like actual Scottish voice acting games, which I'm quite chuffed with. Uh, there's a few there's a few on the the list here that we've got actual Scots on. Do you know what? We've actually got another... I'll just say into this one. Um, we have got another Taggart actor. Oh, well. <laughs> this, um, Ruth and Ben, even though I asked them both separately, true to form as a, a married unit, have both picked the same character. They have gone for this fella called Mimmer, or Mimir. I'm not sure how you would pronounce that in kind of... Norse mythology, but he is for God of War. He's a disembodied head with a Scottish accent. He's supposed to be like a kind of Celtic fae creature. Cool. Ruth says he's a good antidote to Kratos' seriousness and he tells you wee stories when you're on this boat. Um, and Ben says that he calls some guy a dauber at one point. <laughs> but the the voice actor for Mimmer was in episodes of Taggart in the 80s. It was the Taggart, but there you go. <laughs> I think that that doesn't really narrow it down in terms of Scottish actors, to be honest. <laughs> no, to be fair, I think you, I think you had to do a mandatory stint in Taggart, probably. <laughs> it's like national service sort of thing. Aye, Johnny Branchfield, true to form, has just just hit out with a peach pretty much as soon as I messaged him. As do you know, Johnny's one is one when you hear it, you go, aye, yep, that should have been on my list. Um, he's gone for the Angry Scots team from the Worm series. I'm kicking myself I this <laughs> in, in my list at all because, I mean, I every team I've made in any Worms game since 2 has had the Agri Scots accent. Like, I yeah. can't, I, I can't even audit it. It's, still, it's, it's, still so, it's still so funny. I remember absolutely pissing myself as a child, like just listening to these, these broad Scots accents from coming through these Worms. It was amazing. I think it was Armageddon that we played quite a lot of, and they, I remember the Angry Scots definitely being in that, and I, as you say, every time you made a fucking team, you had to give them the Angry Scots accent. <laughs> yeah, it was usually like me playing as the um, the Angry Scots versus either the robots or the Scousers. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, fucking Good Worms, man, what? Aye. Get somebody on Worms, surely there's somebody that's not played one of these games that we can, <laughs> we can subject to it. It's also a lot of Worms games. Got uh, McMenemy with, unsurprisingly, a reference to the Grand Theft Auto series. We have got the band Love Fist from GTA Vice City. Nice. Uh, do you remember them? I never really played Vice City, but I think I've seen like a couple of clips of them. The whole band are Scottish, aren't they? They're Scottish. They're like a kind of glam rock or like heavy metal band or whatever i think the main the band's leader um is called jizz torrent um, <laughs> and he's um he's voiced by uh, kevin mckid aka tommy for train spotting um Hi. who also voiced that fucking call of duty cunt um soap mctavish or whatever oh does he um, i know a murphy rome oh is he in that as well Aye, uh, he's like the, one of the two main characters in it. You get um, in Vice City, you do Love Fist are just one of the the groups that you do missions for. Aye. Like there's an episode where you have to kill a stalker. There's another episode where you have to go, an episode. there's another mission where you have to go and get them this stuff called Love Juice, which I think <laughs> is just a mad fucking concoction for like Chang and Bevy and fucking uh, all sorts um, <laughs> so that they can go on stage that night. Pretty good fun. Dunning actually also gave them an honourable mention because he says one of the guys in Love Fist wears an Argentina 86 tap, um, which you know makes him a true Scotsman. <laughs> Taking all the boxes there, that's pretty good. I, I, I know Andy's a big fan of your um, Scottish references in the Grand Theft Auto series. I, I mean you had like you could type in Bucky um, as a cheat code in the first one and stuff. Uh, this is actually not the last reference to GTA um, that we've got from our guesties, but um, <laughs> I think given the fact that the series comes for here, it's not terribly surprising. Helen uh, also went for Morrigan for Darkstalkers, just said she's yeah, iconic. Uh, Matt 
went for your guys, the Wood Raiders for Age of Empires 2, but he also gave a shout-out to the Loch Ness Monster in Mario 64. And I was like, <laughs> ah, okay, I'll kind of give you that one. But yes, the other GTA reference comes from Mr. Craig Dunning, who reliably informs me that in Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, uh, one of the wee gambling minigames, there is a racehorse called Partick Thistle now. Got to obviously take the opportunity to have a wee barb there at Partick Thistle. <laughs> That's um, aye. But yeah, I put in some honourable mentions at the end, just because there's probably a few big ones we've missed out here. The Demolitions guy from Team Fortress 2... Um, you've got that Soap McTavish guy for Call of Duty, as I said. Scrooge McDuck for the DuckTales games. And um, I'll go for uh, World Games as well. It's got a caber toss in it. <laughs> I, and like every single medieval RPG that's got a Claymore in it, um, you can, I'm counting that for the team as well. And Dirks. Dirks are quite common weapons um, in role-playing games as well. They're Scottish. Aye. Caltrops, get some, get some of those on the go. I'm sure they're probably going to help get solid or something. Uh, you get those in your favourite game, Tenshu. Oh, fuck's sake, Dave. Bye. I thought we hear all day of rhyming off all the amazing inventions that our, our, our bright, um, famous sons have invented. Any, exactly. game any game that's got steam power or like just any sort of modern technology, that's James Watt. You've got James Watt to thank for that. So there you go. Aye. And I would say. You should enjoy two of the best inventions of all. Pour yourself a wee dram, get yourself a haggis supper, and yeah, toast toast the the night by playing one of these wonderful video games that we've mentioned. I would go for Final Fantasy Nine. Go and go and fuck about in the Scottish village. Aye, <laughs> sounds class. I don't know. How do we close this one out? Oh, I've got it. You know what our national animal is, don't you? Aye, the, the Aye. unicorn. Yep, we pumped a unicorn. See you later. <laughs>